Welcome. This is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 73 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is a review of the SEC FCPA settlements with Polycom, Electroboss, and Panasonic Avionics's two former officers. Hello, everyone. Thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Before we get started, two points. First, please subscribe to our podcast podcast and rate the podcast to help let other compliance professionals know about uh, the availability of the podcast on Spotify and iTunes. Second, I wanted to mention that my law firm, the Volkoff Law Group, provides ethics and compliance program services, including program design and implementation, assessments and audits, and integration planning for newly acquired businesses. We have extensive experience in the area of anti-corruption compliance and are frequently retained for our reputation in providing practical and targeted solutions that advance compliance needs, promote an ethical culture, and support business operations. If interested in our services in this area, please contact me at mvolkoff at volkofflaw.com. Well, I wanted to close out uh, some of the FCPA cases in 2018 uh, did not have a chance to discuss uh, some of the settlements that were reached by the SEC uh, in the end of the year. Uh, and there were three of them. One was Polycom, uh, Electroboss, and then uh, a separate enforcement actions against two officers involved in the Panasonic Avionics uh, case. So let's uh, start off with Polycom. And Polycom uh, was acquired by Plantronics, the uh, communications technology company, um, in 2018. And Polycom uh, paid $36 million uh, to settle with the SEC, and they earned a Justice Department declination under the um, FCPA corporate enforcement policy. Um, and they had to pay disgorgement for that, and it involved bribery in China. Um, <clears throat> so DOJ released a declination letter, uh, and the SEC uh, reached an administrative order or settlement with uh, Polycom. Um, Polycom earned the declination first under the FCPA corporate enforcement policy uh, by identifying the misconduct and voluntarily disclosing it to the government, they conducted a thorough internal investigation. Uh, they fully cooperated, uh, made employees available for interviews, assisted the department's efforts to interview a specific former employee, translated foreign documents, identified other misconduct for investigation and potential prosecution, and uh, they remediated their program, in, uh, compliance program, including enhancement of the compliance policies and procedures and internal and accounting controls, they terminated the employment of eight individuals who were involved in the misconduct and disciplined 18 other employees and terminated its relationship with a specific channel partner who was involved. So Polycom agreed to disgorge uh, $30.1 million as part of the DOJ uh, settlement uh, and uh, or the disgorgement and declination. And uh, they got $10.6 million of the $30 million was paid to the SEC as part of its settlement uh, as part of the disgorgement part. And there, obviously, they were, um, uh, you know, applying sort of the principles underneath the anti-piling on in terms of 
uh, making sure that there was not double counting. So uh, 10.6 went to the SEC. Then the SEC got another 5.6 million in uh, prejudgment interest. Uh, so the total settlement paid by Polycom to DOJ and the SEC is approximately 36 million. The scheme that was outlined in the settlement involved uh, Polycom's operations in China, and it was interesting how uh, Polycom was able to basically isolate and uh, avoid any detection by any uh, other part of Polycom, including the uh, headquarters part. And the vice president uh, at Polycom China devised a plan to basically obtain uh, additional business from public sector customers uh, by paying bribes, obviously, to government officials. Um, And they used uh, their distributors in China to help out. Uh, This is not an uncommon scenario, obviously. Um, But what was interesting, I thought, was Polycom China's, the way that they implemented a separate sales management system outside of Polycom's centralized company-approved system. And they use non-Polycom email addresses to communicate about the sales and bribery scheme. So what happened was the Polycom's China distributors made cash payments to government officials responsible for the purchasing decisions, and Polycom funded the bribes to the distributors by passing on discounts for equipment to be sold to public uh, sector customers. The discounts were intended to cover the cost of the payments to the Chinese government officials. Polycom uh, China tracked the discounts uh, in a separate management system for approval by senior managers and recorded the reason for the payment in the same separate system. Uh, The senior managers at Polycom China knew that the discounts were in fact being used to fund bribes. Uh, and interestingly, uh, the vice president who ran the scheme, of course, maintained a spreadsheet with all the bribery information. Uh, reminds me of SPM Offshore and other cases where I've seen somebody feels compelled to write down and maintain uh, records uh, on something. And usually it's a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet. So uh, Polycom China digging a little bit more into the accounting or the mechanics of this, they would make an entry for each deal into the centralized management system, and then they would include false justifications for the discounts. So here, there's no documentation for the reason of the discount, so they would include competition, that was one justification for the discount, and end-user fees. Um, And... uh, Nobody reviewed these justifications except for uh, under the controls it had to go just to Polycom China's vice president. Um, And the senior managers actually were also authorized to approve discounts up to a certain threshold, while discounts above the threshold had to be approved by a uh, Singapore-based officials. So Polycom China basically provided false reasons to Singapore-based officials for such discounts. And the SEC, of course, cited the failure to devise and maintain adequate controls to confirm the veracity of the reasons for discounts entered into its centralized management system. So uh, clearly there there was an absence of documentation uh, in the process, and also probably the SEC would second-guess allowing senior managers to approve certain um, 
discounts uh, in and the failure of the Singapore-based uh, officials to require documentation. Um, Polycom uh, also had some other weaknesses cited in their compliance program. And this is interesting because uh, we're seeing a little bit more focus from the SEC on anti-corruption training. Uh, Polycom failed to translate anti-corruption training materials into Polycom China employees' local language, which is Mandarin and the most common uh, uh, language spoken in China, and frequently failed to follow up if some people failed to attend the anti-corruption training. So interestingly, they went through all the training documentation uh, to make that determination. In uh, 2013, Polycom learned during due diligence of a distributor uh, that the distributor was alleged to have made a bribery payment unrelated to Polycom to a Chinese government official in the past. This is a you know this is a common red flag that can come up when, and it's interesting that the SEC went and went out of its way to note this deficiency. So despite learning this information, Polycom never completed its due diligence review of the distributor, and even continued to use the distributor in selling its products to public sector customers. Uh, obviously, these were concerns uh, that should have been addressed as part of the compliance program. Anyway, so that's the Polycom case, and it's uh, worthwhile looking again at the controls and how the controls issues were handled. Let's turn to the second case, which is uh, Eletrobras, which is, again, a Brazilian uh, state-owned company. And Eletrobras settled uh, the SEC, FCPA, and bid rigging enforcement action for $2.5 million. Um, Basically... Um, Electrobas agreed to violating books and records uh, and internal accounting controls requirements, and they paid the, agreed to pay the $2.5 million penalty. This was initially disclosed uh, as an ongoing investigation in 2016. Uh, DOJ, the Justice Department, declined to prosecute Electrobas. Um, the way the jurisdictional hook here was Electrobas stock is traded on the New York Stock Exchange, uh, and the Brazilian government owns 51% of Eletrobras and appoints uh, seven of the 11 board members. So obviously, uh, uh, this is a state-owned company, but traded on the New York Stock Exchange, kind of like Petrobras in the same way we've talked about uh, before. <clears throat> the bribery and bid rigging scheme basically occurred from 2009 to 2015, and involved Electrobas's uh, nuclear power subsidiary, and uh, former officers at Electrobas rigged the bids and collected bribes from private construction contractors involving the construction of a nuclear power plant, and it was called UTN Angra, A-N-G-R-A, 3. The officers authorized contracts and inflated costs of the infrastructure project and the total contract value of the project was $5.7 billion. In exchange for uh, this bid rigging and awarding of the contract, the officers received uh, bribes totaling $9 million. 
the construction company executives agreed basically, and this is in more detail here, to pay 2% of the contract value to officials associated with two of Brazil's largest political parties. In other words, 1% to each. The former subsidiary president received approximately $4.1 million, and other officers collectively received about $4.9 million. Uh, and then the subsidiary officers used their influence over the uh, ANGRA pre-qualification, budget, and procurement process to authorize unnecessary contractors and then inflate the cost of the project. So Electrobas's subsidiary financed the scheme by paying uh, inflated invoices to the contractors. Electrobas's internal controls were uh, defective, which resulted in misstatements, obviously, uh, in Electrobas's books and records. That's by paying inflated uh, invoices or inflated amounts for uh, certain uh, um, uh, services and assets. So their nuclear subsidiary recorded payments to UTN uh, ANGRA three contractors, a percentage of which was used for bribes as money legitimately spent to acquire and improve assets, but obviously it was not legitimate. These misstatements were then consolidated from the subsidiary up into uh, Electrobas's books and records. Um, the SEC also cited uh, Electrobas's uh, compliance policies and procedures that were either insufficient or defective to prevent the misconduct. A specific note here is uh, the fact that the SEC cited that Electrobas's code of ethics failed to mention that it applied to its subsidiaries. And here, obviously, we had uh, misconduct by the subsidiary. Um, the SEC also cited the fact that Electrobas's anti-corruption training was only completed by a small number of its workforce. And there, again, we're seeing the SEC's focus on what actually happened with the uh, training program. Further, the settlement noted that Electrobas regularly disclosed that it suffered from material weaknesses in its internal controls. In other words, they were having material weaknesses and, uh, and experiencing them and disclosing them, and that these deficiencies contributed to the bribery and bid-rigging misconduct that occurred in the project. Uh, like I said, Electrobas uh, disclosed the issue to the government in 2016. It authorized an internal investigation and cooperated with the government by sharing facts and circumstances uncovered during the investigation and voluntarily produced and translated documents. Uh, and to remediate the violations, Electropos disciplined employees, enhanced its accounting controls and compliance functions, and adopted new anti-corruption policies uh, and procedures. So that's the uh, Electrobas case. And finally, we, I wanted to talk about the um, charging of two uh, settlements of two uh, Panasonic avionics officers in connection with the Panasonic's uh, and a, a avionics uh, FCPA settlement. So on December 19th, 2018, the SEC announced settlements with two former senior executives of Panasonic avionics corporations. Uh, Panasonic avionics is... Uh, provides in-flight entertainment to airlines uh, and deal, obviously, with state-owned airlines in China and other locations, the Middle East, um, and in these very lucrative contracts, as you could well imagine, if you, for example, uh, win a contract to provide uh, such services to a fleet of aircraft. 
recall, if you'll recall, in April of 2018, Panasonic's, uh, Panasonic Avionics settled FCPA charges with the Justice Department and the SEC and agreed to pay $280 million in penal- fines and penalties. Paul Marges, the former CEO, and Takashi uh, Unaga, uh, the former C- CFO, agreed to pay $75,000 and $50,000, respectively, to settle books and records and internal controls charges. Uh, Marges left or was forced out of the company in 2017. Um, and if you recall the Panasonic avionics schemes, um, Marges was really the prime director of this, uh, and uh, frankly, uh, I think he came out of this pretty well, although it's not clear to me uh, there's no indication yet as to what the Justice Department's view is uh, with regard to prosecution of Marges. Uh, He's certainly a strong candidate for criminal prosecution. Um, So let's take a look at those facts real quickly. Uh, Between 2006-2017, Marges authorized uh, the payment of $184 million in sales commission to a sales representative who reported directly to him and who had no experience in the in-flight entertainment in- industry. So the sales representative lacked qualifications but participated in many sales negotiations and often had confidential and proprietary information about Panasonic Avionics uh, competitors. So according to the administrative settlement, Marges, with the assistance of this sales representative, authorized uh, the hiring, and this is a really blatant scheme in my view, of a government official at a state-owned government airline for a consulting position while the foreign official was involved in the negotiation of two agreements with Panasonic Avionics for in-flight entertainment systems. I mean, that's pretty ballsy to go out there and hire the state-owned government official for a consulting position while you're in the midst of negotiations with that foreign official. Um, And that is pretty naked uh, library scheme. And the consulting position... um, you know, was provided as basically a bribe to the government official and who was not required to provide any consulting services. And in total, over the course of years, the government official received approximately $875,000 in consulting fees for little to no consulting services. In addition to this uh, corrupt consulting deal, Marges authorized payments of more than $900,000 through a third-party vendor to retain two other individuals as consultants, even though they provided little to no services. Marges made such payments from a fund maintained in the office of the president uh, under his control at Panasonic Avionics. And that uh, underscores, again, the risk of C-suite misconduct and these funds. Uh, it, there were a couple of other cases where the where the president or the CEO of a company would have access to their own sort of kitty uh, jar of uh, funds and uh, without uh, controls and without meaningful supervision. So over a seven-year period from 2007 to 2014, Marges and others authorized engagement of various consultants where the consultants provide little to no services. Uh, and Marges basically caused the retention of these agents by circumventing Panasonic Avionics uh, standard procedures and hiring the consultants through a vendor. Again, Marges controlled his budget, the Office of President budget, and made payments to these consultants through the vendor 
from the funds in his uh, account. And uh, Margis's budget for this account was set annually by a senior finance executive, but Panasonic Avionics conducted no meaningful audit or review of expenditures from this account, and there were no reasonable accounting controls in place uh, governing such expenditures. Um, one of the consultants provided Margis and others with non-public information regarding an airline customer, other customers, and competitors. The other consultant was hired and paid to ensure that the consultant just didn't work for any of uh, Panasonic Avionics uh, competitors. So in total, Margis authorized payments totaling more than $176 million to the government official and the two consultants from the office of the president budget. So he knowingly circumvented Panasonic Avionics' policies and procedures um, governing the retention of consultants, including the scope of work, coordinating with Panasonic's Human Resources Department, and limiting such contracts to six months. These were all the controls that he circumvented. Uh, he clearly must have known what he was doing. The, um, the other case uh, is far... Far less interesting, it was uh, against Unaga, who was the um, CFO. He was fired from Panasonic Avionics in 2018, and as explained in his settlement, uh, he caused the parent company to improperly record an $82 million in revenue based on a backdated contract. He also, as part of that, as part of the Sarbanes-Oxley roll-up process, uh, made false representations to Panasonic Avionics's auditor about financial statements, internal controls, and books and records. Um, like I said, the, stat, the status of the Justice Department's investigations of Margis and Unaga is unknown. Conduct certainly raises uh, serious issues, uh, and he may, in fact, uh, be very close to being indicted. Um, in connection uh, with the uh, Panasonic Avionics scheme. Okay, that's it for today, and uh, thanks for uh, listening. And we'll be back, uh, hopefully, uh, within the next week with another episode for you. Uh, thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At Ethical Companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.volkoflaw.com our award-winning blog, Corruption Crime Compliance, and our podcast series. You can always contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at Let us know how we can help you with